Good morning, Grace Chapel, Wilmington, and Watertown, Lexington, and East Lexington. Great to be together on this second Sunday of our new season. So I'm out for a bike ride the other day, just trying to clear my head a little bit, enjoy a fine September afternoon. And I'm cruising along after a few miles, I'm kind of getting in the zone, I'm uh, letting my mind wander a little bit, and I begin thinking about this series and the upcoming message, and I'm just kind of in the zone. Right about then, I realize there's another road coming down, it's going to merge into ours, and I, I catch a, another biker in a bright shirt coming down that way, and we're going to hit the merge about the same time. So I push ahead a little bit so we kind of stay out of each other's way and continue on my way. Well, a mile or two later, as I kind of come to the crest of a hill, I hear some huffing and puffing behind me, and I, I take a peek, and I realize it's that other guy. He's right on my tail. He's been drafting me the whole way. <laughs> so I'm like, well, who invited you? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to get focused here. And I really didn't want any other distractions. I didn't want anyone else to have to worry about. So I kind of keep going. I say, well, are you, you want to draft? I'll show you drafting. So I pull ahead a little bit, and... And he stays with me. So I'm getting a little annoyed, and he kind of pulls alongside me without a word, settles in front of me like this. I'm like, well, who asked you to... Anyway. So <laughs> then I notice the shirt he's wearing. Okay, now keep in mind, we've got this kind of 60s retro iconography going here, Woodstock and all that. This guy's wearing a Jimi Hendrix bike shirt <laughs> with all these psychedelic colors on it. Now, what are the chances of that? I mean, I've seen all kinds of bike shirts. U.S. Postal Service and Verizon and Viagra and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> right? I've never seen a Jimi Hendrix bike shirt. So I'm figuring maybe the Lord's trying to get my attention. So I settle down a little bit and think about this whole come-together thing and decide, well, maybe I should stop fighting with this guy and just ride with him for a while. So I settle in behind and let him pull me up the next couple of hills and... It was actually quite nice. We eventually came to a fork in the road and went our separate ways. Well, anyway, as I'm pedaling away after that, I began thinking about what just happened. And I realized why this whole idea of coming together is not always so easy for us. We're not so good about letting other people into our lives. I mean, we're focused on our own stuff, you know? We're busy. We're distracted. We're proud. We're self-sufficient. We're introverts. We're New Englanders. All kinds of reasons we have for just kind of keeping people at a distance and, and, and going it alone. My guess is that there are parts of your life that you'd rather not share with anybody. You just kind of want to keep them to yourself. They're too embarrassing or painful or complicated. My guess is there are people in your life that you kind of keep at arm's length. Just don't want to get too involved with them for whatever reason. My guess is there are places in your life where you don't dare let down your guard and tell people what's really going on. Maybe church is one of those places. Well, this year, we would like to confront those fears. We'd like to overcome those solitary tendencies we have and come together and discover the joy and power of true community. And this morning, and the text we're going to look at is going to help us get started in that direction. 
Now, we're looking this fall at Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's one of a handful of books in the New Testament that we call the prison epistles because they were written when Paul was a prisoner, probably in Rome, while he was waiting to appear before a tribunal court and learn his fate. Now, we don't know the exact details of this imprisonment. Maybe he was in, a, in jail in a dungeon, or maybe he was under house arrest. Uh, whatever the circumstances, we know it was a difficult situation for him. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. That was the custom of the time. He's cut off from the people and the churches that he loves deeply. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He could be turned, turned loose, set free. He could be executed. As I thought about all this, it occurred to me that, that if Paul were in a similar situation today, if, if Paul were a prisoner in some troubled part of the world today, and he wanted to send a message to his people, his churches, his followers, he might write a letter, but he might make a video and post it and send it out on the web. And if he did that, it might look and sound something like this. This is a message from Paul and Timothy, both of us servants of Jesus Christ. And it's to all the followers of Jesus at Philippi, the whole church there. We pray that God is giving you both grace and peace. Whenever I think of you, I thank God. I find myself praying for you with joy because we've been together on this mission from the moment you first heard the gospel. And I have no doubt that the one that began this great work in you will he will see it finished on the day that Jesus returns. It makes perfect sense that I feel so strongly about you because you're the one who stuck with me when I was arrested through the trial. We experienced together God's grace and generous help. God himself could testify how much I love you and miss you. So this, this is my prayer that your love will flourish, that you'll not only love much, but love well. I, I pray that you'll understand what, what really matters, so that your love for one another is sincere and intelligent. I hope you'll live a life that makes him proud, a life filled with the fruits of your salvation, a life whose, whose righteous character is attractive even to those who don't believe, because this will bring praise and glory to God. Whatever happens, I want you to know that my imprisonment, everything that's happened to me here, has helped spread the gospel. Everyone in this place, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in jail because I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And my outspokenness has get, have given other believers here confidence. So now they are speaking boldly too. By me or by someone else. The story of Jesus is being told. So I choose to rejoice. And I'll go on rejoicing. Because I know that through your prayers and God's provisions and his spirit, that everything that God wants to do through me will be done. 
and I hope and fully expect that I will not be embarrassed, but will have the courage to live a life worthy of Christ, that honors Christ, whether I live or die. For me to live is Christ, and to die, gain. I know as long as I live, there's work for me to do. And I'm torn between the two outcomes. I long to go and be with him. Some days I'm ready for it. But most days, because of you, I'm sure that it's better for me to stay. So I plan to stick around for a while. Your companion in this life of trusting God. You can look forward to our great reunion when, when I'm finally out of here. I'm sure we'll be praising God together. Meanwhile, whatever happens, I want you to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't let your faith or your behavior hinge on whether or not I come to you. I want you to stand together with one spirit and one purpose and fight for people's trust in the good news. Don't be intimidated by our enemies, for this will be a sign to them that their defeat will come, as will your victory. There's more to life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for Him. And the suffering, I promise, is as much a gift as the trusting. You've seen what's happened to me in the past, and I'm still in the middle of it. But we're in this struggle together. As long as I'm able, I'll keep these messages coming. Well, those words come right from Philippians chapter 1. It's a blending of the New International Version and the Message Version of the Scriptures. Now, I have read and studied and taught this passage many, many times. There's all kinds of important themes we could go after here. But what struck me this time around, and what I'd like us to focus on for a few moments, is Paul's vulnerability. The degree to which he opens up his heart and shares his thoughts and feelings with his readers and with us at a very difficult moment. Uh, I thought Scott captured well the warmth and, and yet the urgency and the anguish in Paul's spirit as he wrote this letter. So let's look at a few of these lines a little more carefully and see why, why vulnerability is so incredibly powerful. It begins at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, we said last week that Paul is following kind of a standard template for a letter in those days. And there were a variety of templates he could have chosen from. He's following here the, the format for a friendship letter. And so, after his customary greeting and well wishes, the author would then go on to give a report on their circumstances. And that's what Paul does here. I want you to know what has happened to me. 
But instead of a breezy and perfunctory, everything's fine with me, he's brutally honest about his circumstances and shares his very personal thoughts and feelings. Verse 13, I am in chains for Christ. He wants the readers to know the reality of his circumstances. He wants them to see the chains. He wants them to hear them rattling around his wrist and his legs. He goes on to report that some people, even other Christians, are using his imprisonment against him, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. These critics were using his imprisonment to discredit Paul and set themselves up as true ministers of the gospel. This had to be incredibly hurtful to Paul at a time when he's laying his life out for the gospel and very worrisome for the churches. A little further on, he goes on to make this remarkable declaration of faith. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now who says something like that? He goes on to talk very openly about the fact that he might live and he might die. He might get out and be re reunited with them. He might never see them in this life again. As I said, I've taught and read this passage many, many times. But it struck me in a fresh way this time around, in part because of some of the troubling things that we've seen happening in our world today. And I'm thinking in particular of the journalists and the aid workers and the missionaries who have been taken prisoner and held for months and years at a time in difficult places. And I'm thinking, of course, about the brutal and public executions of some of those people. Now, it's hard to even bring them up here this morning, and in part, I'm reluctant to do that. But these are the circumstances under which Paul wrote this letter. We dare not underestimate what he was going through. Now, he was not being held by terrorists, to be sure. But let's remember that the enemies of the gospel have already demonstrated in that day their readiness to use violence, brutal violence, to stifle the gospel. Jesus was tortured and crucified. Stephen stoned to death in the streets. James beheaded, put to death with the sword. So let's not miss the, the physical danger, the psychological strain that Paul's under at this moment. In fact, one of those imprisoned journalists managed to sneak out of prison a message to his family while he was still being held. Listen to some of his words. Please know that I'm okay. I love you, miss you, pray for you, and hope to see you soon. If we're not together again, perhaps God will reunite us in heaven. Live your lives to the fullest and fight to be happy. How poignant those words are. How vulnerable that space is. And Paul invites his readers into that space he, he bears his soul under the most frightening of circumstances. Listen again. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
I mean, you, you can hear the anguish. You can feel the, the inner conflict in his soul as he grapples with the possibilities of life and death. And this transparency, this honesty, this vulnerability, it was, it was revolutionary in that ancient world, and it's, it's, it's pretty unusual in our world as well. We're not used to this kind of vulnerability. We're not always comfortable with this kind of vulnerability. And yet it's this kind of honesty and openness that opens the door to the kind of community that we're talking about this year. If we're going to get closer to one another as a community, if you're going to get closer to the important people in your life, if you're going to get closer to people you know and love who are still far from God, you're going to have to let them into your life. You're going to have to tell them about what's really going on with you. You're going to have to be your true self with them and invite them to meet you in that space. And that's not always easy for us to do, as I learned on my bike ride. We'd rather do it ourselves. You're sitting down at the dinner table after a long day of school or work, and uh, someone around the table, spouse, parent, roommate, says, uh, so, how was your day? Now, how are you going to answer that question? Now, you could just say, fine, and move on. But that's not going to get you very far relationally, is it? How was your day? It takes some emotional energy to answer that question. It takes some thoughtful reflection to answer that question. But that's what it's going to take if your relationship is going to go anywhere. You have a choice. You bump into somebody at, at Starbucks. Hey, how you go? How's it going? What are you up to? What's happening? Are you going to tell them? Are you going to tell them what's really happening? Are you going to take that time? Or are you going to take that risk? You're sitting around with your life community at the end of a Bible study evening, and the leader says, does anybody have any prayer requests? Now, you could mention your Aunt Ida's gallstones, <laughs> and that would be okay. Or you could tell them about the panic attack you've been having recently about your anxiety, about your job search, or, or your wayward child, or your health concerns. Now, it's fine and good to pray for Aunt Ida, but if that's all you share, you're going to walk back to your car that evening feeling as alone, as anxious as you did when you arrived. Brene Brown is a professor of social work at the University of Houston. She did a TED Talk a couple of years ago that's gone viral, 16 million views. She was a speaker at the Global Leadership Summit a couple of years ago. According to Brown, her research uh, has shown her that vulnerability is the key to deep relationship. As she puts it, we can't know things like love and belonging and creativity and joy without vulnerability. Now, the problem, of course, is that we're afraid of vulnerability. It involves uncertainty and risk and energy and emotional exposure, and we're not always sure we want to go there. We don't know how to offer it, and we don't know how to receive it. Brown explains, women want men to be more vulnerable. And when they are, the women recoil in disappointment and disgust. 
men want women to be more vulnerable. And when they are, men try to fix things. We don't always know how to offer or receive help, ask for help. Uh, Brown says, the essence of vulnerability is to ask, can you be afraid with me and can I be afraid with you? And that's a scary place to be. We don't, we don't like to be afraid. We shouldn't like to let people know that we're afraid. Can I be afraid with you and can you be afraid with me? That's exactly what Paul asks of his readers here. He asks them to stand with him in his fear and uncertainty. He asks them to stand with each other in their fear and uncertainty so that together they can find courage for the circumstances of their lives. Paul is reminding us that the gospel life is not a solitary life. The gospel life is lived in community, in Christ, on mission, all together. And that can only happen when we're willing to let people into our lives, to be our true selves with one another, and to enter into other people's lives as they give us opportunity. You know, as scary as that is, three powerful things happen when we are vulnerable with each other. First, when we invite people into our lives, we get closer. We get closer. On Thursday this past week, I happened to be in my car at 8.46 a.m. And the radio station I was listening to took a break from its programming at that point to remember that moment 13 years ago when the first plane crashed into the World Trade Center. And the commentators observed what we all do when we think about that day. He said, we, we all remember where we were when that happened. And of course we do. But what struck me this time around was we not only remember where we were when it happened, we remember who we were with and who we wanted to be with in that moment. Now, we happened to be on a pastoral staff retreat that day at a conference center about, a about an hour or so away from here. We had just begun our morning session. Someone got a phone call. We obviously stopped what we were doing, turned on the big screen TV, and watched it all happen together as a staff. Uh, e even though we had a lot of work to do that day and we had just gotten going, we realized we, we had to get home. We had to get to our families. We had to get to our church family, and that's what we did. That night or the next night, I forget, we called the church prayer meeting, and many of us came together right here in this space. We planned a special service for that following Sunday that was packed out with people. Our, our staff had been together for just about a year at that point, and it was an incredibly bonding experience for us. And that's what happened all across the country as people came together in that frightening, uncertain moment to support each other and find a way forward. That's what we were meant to do. That's how we're wired as human beings. But we too easily and often resist that. But we're meant to come together. We're meant to break from our normal routines, to give up on our self-sufficient tendencies, and turn towards each other, move towards each other, to both offer and receive help. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's inviting Philippian believers into his imprisonment. And they accept the invitation. We know that they pray for him. Paul mentions that several times. They also offered practical help. 
the Philippian church took an offering and they sent it off to Paul because you had to provide for yourself in prison in those days, your own food and clothing. They sent money to do that. And they took their, one of their fine young men, Epaphroditus, and they sent Epaphroditus off to Rome to minister to Paul on their behalf while he was in prison. It's interesting, Paul spent far less time in Philippi than in many, many other cities, and yet he seems closest to this church of any. And it's because, in part, that they shared this imprisonment experience with him. Are you struggling with something these days? Have you told someone? Have you invited anyone into that space allowing them to come alongside you and walk with you through it? Do you know someone who's struggling right now? Can you find a way to move towards them graciously and sensitively with some offer of help or presence? Now, I know it's not always easy to do or even know what to do. It's inconvenient to drive into Boston to visit someone at one of those big hospitals and find a place to park. It's awkward to to call someone when their family's falling apart or when they've just lost their job or are facing some other kind of crisis. No one knows what to say when you're in the funeral, at the funeral home waiting to greet the bereaved person. Sometimes all you can say is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this has happened, but I'm here and I want you to know that. The gift of presence, the gift of being with someone in moments like that. When we invite people into our lives, we get closer to one another. But a second thing happens as well. When we're vulnerable to each other, we get stronger. We get stronger. There's a reason bikers draft off each other. You can go farther and faster and longer when you bike with people than when you bike alone. Look at verse 18. Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He goes on to describe the courage that he's found, the faith he's found to make this remarkable declaration for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Where does he find that kind of faith? Where does he find that kind of courage? He finds it through the help given by his friends. He talks about their prayers on his behalf. Now, in the original language, I mean, in, the, in, the, in our English translation, it looks like Paul's talking about two things that help him, their prayers and the Holy Spirit. In the original language, it's not really two things, it's one thing. Through the help provided by your prayers, he finds courage and strength for this moment. Don't underestimate the power of asking someone to pray for you. When you ask someone to pray for you, you are opening up a channel into your life through which their love and God's power can flow into your life in transformative ways. Don't underestimate the power of praying for another person. When you tell someone, I'll pray for you, it's not a throwaway line if you mean it. It's a lifeline, the means by which God might grab hold of that person in a desperate moment. This year, in keeping with our All Together series, the pastoral staff has made a commitment to pray for the entire membership, 
1,400 or so plus people who are members at Grace. We're going to pray for you one at a time, name by name, as we make our way through the year. That's a lot of folks. But we're going to be praying for you personally, that you will be made stronger in your faith, that you will go deeper and closer and wider in Christ. We're going to pray for each of you this year. Now, some of you are saying, well, how come you're just praying for the members? What about the rest of us? That's a good question. Well, first of all, because we know who the members are. (laughs) But more importantly, the members have invited us into their lives. You see, when you join a church, you're, you're not signing up for a club. You are saying to a group of people, I want to do life with you. I give you permission to know me, care for me, walk with me, and support me in life. Sometimes people ask, uh, you know, I don't see what the big deal about membership is. What are the benefits? Well, I don't know about the benefits. We're not giving away microwave ovens, you know. (laughs) You don't accumulate frequent fellowship points for showing up. It's, It's not like that. Membership's not about privileges and benefits. It's about relationship and deep connection. And it may be the church membership, here or wherever you worship regularly, that may be the step God's asking you to take this year to get closer to the people God has placed in your life. So when, we, when we're vulnerable with each other, when we let people in, we get closer, we get stronger, and one more thing, we gain influence in the world. Now, that sounds counterintuitive. How do you gain influence by being vulnerable? Well, watch what happens here. Paul says, as a result of his imprisonment, it has become clear to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Remember those guards who were chained to Paul 24 hours a day? Guess what happened to them? They heard the gospel. There was no escaping. They didn't just hear the gospel. They saw the gospel. They watched Paul deal with his imprisonment, his humiliation, his suffering. They witnessed his grace and his humility and his kindness and his courage. And some of them came to faith because of it. And they began to spread word through the palace guard. Now notice, Paul's not ministering from a position of strength here. He has no status. He's a servant. He's a prisoner. But it was from that vulnerable place that he... He he gained credibility with his captors and gained access to Caesar's household as a prisoner. Such an important lesson for us as we want to live and share our faith with the wider world around us. We don't need to impress people by having it all together. We don't need to have an answer for every question. We don't need to be right all the time. We just need to be real. We need to be honest, open folks who struggle with life and faith sometimes and are willing to tell other people about it. What if we, what if we were to share questions with people instead of answers? What if we were to ask for their help instead of offering our help? What if Christians were famous for our vulnerability instead of our certainty? What if we stopped chasing political power and instead ministered from the margins as the early church did so powerfully for 300 years. 
What if we stopped complaining about how hard it is and how persecuted we are? And if we simply came together to pray for one another and for our city. Look how Paul ends the section. Whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man, one soul, for the faith of the gospel. Remember now, this, this may be the last letter Paul ever writes. This may be his final message to the church for all he knows. And what does he call the church to? Community. Oneness. Come together, he says. Because if we can come together in true humility and vulnerability, then God can do remarkable things. Later this month, the the churches of greater Boston will be coming together for 10 days of prayer. Happens every year in September. Different sites all across the city, across denominational lines, across ethnic communities, believers and churches will come together in a different location every night for 10 nights to pray for one another and for the city. The, the one closest to us is probably the Burlington one happening on Thursday, September 25th. I'll be there. Now, yes, it means another night out of the week if we decide to go. It means we might worship in styles we're not all that familiar with. We might find ourselves praying with someone we don't know in a language we don't fully understand, an accent we're not accustomed to. But when the churches of greater Boston begin to come together in prayer for each other and for our city, we gain influence in our city and in the world. Well, back to my bike ride. About half an hour after we parted ways, that other biker and I crossed paths again, this time coming towards each other in opposite directions. And we waved at each other. <laughs> now, bikers don't usually do that. It's more like, you know, that's it. But we're, you know, hey, like we're long-lost friends. I have no idea who that other rider was. But I had a better ride that day because I shared the road with him for just a little while. Every day, every week, people are going to come riding in and out of your life. You can let them in and share the road for a while together. Or you can keep your distance and go it yourself. It's, it's up to you. Is there some part of your life that you've been keeping to yourself because it's too painful or embarrassing or complicated? Is there some person in your life you've been keeping at arm's length because you're not sure you want to get involved? Is there some place in your life that, that, you, that you need a safe place to let down your guard and be your true self? There are those kinds of places here at Grace. Every Monday night, celebrate recovery. A crowd of people from all walks of life come together to share their hurts and habits and hang-ups in an atmosphere of community. Every night in homes and church all around the city, 
life communities, people come together to read the scripture, to care for each other, and to live on mission in the world, in our life communities. Men come together, women come together, students, kids, all kinds of ways to connect. Uh, beginning today, we're starting our plug-in course. It's a great way to get started on the journey of connection with God and the people around you. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's happening. Let this be the year that you and I begin to discover the beauty, the joy, and the power of vulnerability. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a place we can be our true selves with each other. Many of us enjoy relationships around, around the room that, that allow us to be our true selves with each other, and we're grateful for that. But Lord, we do want more of them. We want to be able to go deeper in those relationships here at church and at home and in the communities in which we live. Thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for making yourself vulnerable to us coming to our world as a child, as an infant, as vulnerable as a human being can possibly be. That's how you began your relationship with us. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, willing to bear his soul in the most desperate of moments. Thank you that we have that freedom as well. Lord, draw us close to you, to one another, and may we together grow close to the people in the world around us, desperately needing your love as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.